0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Is everyone awake? Hopefully, you'll be able to last through the next hour or 45 minutes. I don't know how long it's going to take, but if you need a little break, just raise your hand so we can have a little break. Just stand up, get the blood going to our body. I know it's not easy to be attentive, and hopefully the message will be a little bit interesting, so, you know, will go with me for the will be with me for the next hour, and so let me start with a simple question. Do you have a special day or days marked on your calendar? Absolutely, we all, we all have. We all do. What kind of days are you marked on your calendar? What days you don't want to forget? First day of your loved ones, anniversaries, your kids, graduations, death of your loved ones, whatever it may be, you always mark them, right? The same is true on a national level. Each country that, you know, we live here in Canada, doesn't matter what country. Each country has a special national holidays that they observe, whether it be historical one or whatever it may be. For each country to exist, they all need to have their own national days. And, you know, look at the religions around us. It's the same thing. There's no, it's impossible for any religion to exist without the special days. Whether it be Islam, or whether it be Buddhist, or Christianity. Almost most people on this earth, not when you mention Christianity, about the special days, everybody will mention Christmas and Easter. But for us, we go by different days. Our lives are governed by days that are right here in the Bible. The days that God specifically set aside a point for us, Since the beginning of creation. I would like to start from Exodus chapter 31. Open your Bible to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. And right here in verse 13. It says, speak also to the children of Israel and saying, surely my Sabbath, my Sabbath, which is plural, plural, you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Sabbath, not just the weekly Sabbath, but the annual Sabbath. God is so specific. He says this is a sign, a special sign, a special, special covenant between me and you. You observe these days, by this you will know who I am to you. And just skip down to verse 17. That also includes the weekly Sabbath. This Verse 17. It's a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. If you claim that you are the follower of the way, that you follow or you call yourself a Christian or Christ-like, then you will follow the biblical holidays. You will follow the biblical holidays. In Leviticus chapter 23. <clears throat> the whole chapter here. In Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 3. Is about his holy time. His holy appointed time. And it is very specific. In every single holiday that he that he gave us. And it's so specific it says in verse two speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, the feast of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Not your feast. This is mine feast. This is my feast for you that you're supposed to keep it. Your my feast. And he goes with the weekly Sabbaths, but then in verse four he's very specific. He says, These are the feast of the Lord holy convocation, which you shall proclaim at their appointed time. Not when you feel like it, but exactly at their appointed time. Why? Because throughout the history, God moved heaven and earth to put some great historical events on his appointed time, whether the past or whether the future will follow exactly the same pattern. And I want you to see here in Deuteronomy chapter 16, after the, after the Exodus, Deuteronomy chapter 16, before they move into the Holy Land, Deuteronomy chapter 16, before they move into the Holy Land, he says right here in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 1, Observe the month of Aedip, which is the first month of God's holy calendar, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of the land of Egypt by night. So he says, I want you to pay special attention. From now on, I want you to celebrate this night always on the first month at the beginning of the year. Now, if you just go right before the Exodus, in Exodus chapter 5, In Exodus chapter 5. When Moses is in front of the Pharaoh. And right here he says in verse 1. Exodus chapter 5 in verse 1. Afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Way before the Passover night. He says. Let my people go. That they may hold a feast. To me in the wilderness. the they might hold a feast in the wilderness. And right there before the exodus. Exodus chapter 12. Before all the specific instructions. How to keep the Passover. Right here in verse 12. 12 uh, in verse 2. Exodus chapter 12. In verse 2. God says this month. The first month, the month of Abib, shall be, shall be your beginning of months. It shall, be, it shall be the first month of the year to you. God is so specific about when his appointed times are. Now, just go back to Leviticus chapter 23. Why? God is trying to align everything. The observance of the holiday with the agricultural cycle of the year. And also with these historical events. Everything needs to follow on the same pattern. Leviticus chapter 23. Why God wants this month to be the first month, the first month of the spring. Leviticus chapter twenty three. And right here, during the feast of unleavened bread, look at verse ten. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruit of your harvest to the priest. So he shall wave the sheep before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. The fish shall wave it. How can you celebrate the Passover and the days of unleavened bread when you come to the wave sheaf offering when the harvest is not ready? You can't. Everything must be aligned together. What harvest are we talking about here? It was the first harvest of barley. Then as we go on later, it's not just the barley needs to be ready. As we, as we move towards the Pentecost, right here in verse 15. The same chapter, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15. And you shall count for yourself from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you, br- that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbath shall be completed, and come 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord, a new grain offering to the Lord, which needs to be ready exactly before the Pentecost. And, this, in, and in this case, we're talking about the wheat. It needs to be ripe and ready to be harvested at this time. So all this time can be mixed up. Everything needs to follow precisely at the same time. And now, I just want you to look here, because we, once we go through the calendar here, when you usually read by that by line, we may miss something when you just project them visually here. So, I just make a column. In God's holy calendar, there are only a few months that are very sacred to him, that are holy to him. So, as you can see, it's the first month of the year, and it's the seventh month. Of the year, and between is the third month. Now, God is very specific that we should observe the Passover on the 14th day of the month, and we should pick the lamb on the 10th day. The question is, how do you know what is the 10th of the day if you don't know when is the first of the month? It just makes natural sense that you know you have to find out what is the beginning of the month to know what is the 10th of the month. So these days are very specific; they are very special to God. You can see how they follow the first the 10th, the 14th, the 15th, which is days of unleavened bread, which, which today, together with Passover and days of unleavened bread makes 8 days in a total, in observance, and the date of the first month. I want you to look at how similar it is when you talk about the 7th month of God's holy year. We follow exactly the same thing. We need to know when is the first of the 7th month. Feast of Trumpet follows on the first of the month. The day of atonement follows the 10th of the month. and Then we, then we have the Feast of Tabernacles with the last great day, which followed the same pattern, eight days in total. Eight days in total. And as you can see, between is the feast of Pentecost. And there is a magic number, I don't I don't want to use magic number, it's a holy number that is used fifty, that you count between the feast of eleven and towards the Pentecost. Is the number 50. fifty. When you know what the number fifty means, it means redemption. Redemption is also meets jubilee. We'll come to this a little bit later when we we'll talk about the day of atonement. So I just want you to look visually one more time. You can see it. How everything is nicely aligned. The first one and the seven and everything makes sense. Now, if I would ask you. How much time will it take from, let's say, feet of feet from the feast of the Pentecost to the day of trumpets. Approximately how many months is going to take. It will be three and a half months. Three and a half. What do we know in the Bible about the three and a half? What does the Bible say about time, times, and a half time? Time, times, and a half time. It's prophetic. And I can give you some scriptures, but, you know, I don't want to go there because my message isn't on about the holidays in general. I want us specifically to pay the rest of my time to the Feast of Atonement. So, Feast of Atonement. We heard the scriptures, but we just go back there one more time, Leviticus chapter 23 one more time, we there. So, you know, we read the scripture already twice. Pastor Morty did it once, and Sister Caitlin did it second time. So, I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to read all the verses. But just here, in just two verses. How important is this day? And when, when you look at the schedule here, when you look at this thing, how difficult, the most busy days, the most busy days of the holidays, to all this year, were the 14th of the month. Right? Imagine what? What our Savior went through to the 14th of the month. And the other day is the 10th day of the month. 10th day of the month. It was very busy for the priesthood. Not for the people. People were just asked to abstain for food. And just be attentive. Everything. All the work on the day of atonement was done by the priest. Not the people. The priest. This day was so special. This day is still so special. That right here. In Leviticus chapter 20, uh, 23, look at here, in verse 29. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. If we don't fast on that day, if we ignore this day, the Day of Atonement, there is no such instructions for any other holiday except this one. And any person who does any work on the same day, that person shall be destroyed from among. From, from among These people. So I want to to spend the rest of my time on the the Day day of Atonement. And now as you can see, the Day of Atonement falls on the 10th day of the 7th month. We know how 7, right? We know what 7 means. What about the 10th? Is the 10th, does it, you know, signify anything in the Bible? Is there any specific about the number 10 in the Bible? The number 10 is mentioned 242, 242 times in the Bible. Tenth alone is mentioned seventy-two times. Seventy-two times. What it can symbolize? Why it's so important? Why God put it on ten, not on the 11, or not on the twelfth of the seventh month? It's on the tenth. If you start your Bible from Genesis, you don't have to go there. Just you can make your notes. But if you start from Genesis, just the creation chapter, ten times God said, God said, God said, God said, ten times in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. Ten times, not fifteen times, not nine times, ten times. God said. Then, in Genesis chapter five, it says, From Adam to Noah, ten generations. Not eleven, not nine, ten generations. God brought how many plagues in Egypt? Ten. Not nine, not eleven, not twelve. Ten. How many commandments did we have? Not 9, not 12, not 11. Even though God could, us, could, could give us easily 12. He gave us 10 commandments. 10 commandments. Now when you go to a new... Te- there are many more. I'm just giving you the major one. When you go to the New Testament. When you, when you study about Jesus and his life. And you look at what, what he did in his parable. He healed how many lepers? 10. Not 7, not 6. 10. He's talking about his parables about 10 virgins, 10 coins, 10 minus, 10, 10, 10, 10. It's like a pattern in the Bible about number 10. Now, as you can see, the first month of the, the first, the 10 day of the first month, that's what the day when people were about to peak the Passover lamb. Now, the 10 day of the 7th month, that's where God peaks his sacrifice. Not people, God peaks. And look at you, the way how we are created. How many fingers we have? Ten. How many toes we have? Ten. Ten. What can ten symbolize? It's a number of completeness. Day of atonement followed the ten of the seven months. God's cycle is about to be completed. Now, usually on the day of atonement, you know, we talk about fasting, which is right. There's nothing wrong with that. And most of the time we spend talking about two goats, who is the one, who is the other one, and all this, you know, we get into the disagreement and we like to argue about what the goats represents in the Bible. But there's another factor in the Day of Atonement that, you know, not many people talk about. it. And actually what was mentioned today by Pastor Murray. What is this factor in the Day of Atonement that people forget to mention it? I believe when you put all, this piece of the, all these puzzles together about what this day represents, it's so much easier to know and understand what this whole day of atonement is all about. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 25. One more time. And what a beautiful piece of scripture here. Leviticus chapter 25. Let's read some of the verses the, uh, the pastor Murray read to us here. It starts from verse 8. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. And the time of the seventh Sabbath of years shall be to you 49 years. And then you shall cast the trumpet. There is the connection to the Feast of Trumpet. There is another trumpet blow on the Day of Atonement, which connects with the Feast of Trumpet. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month on the Day of Atonement. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. Verse 10, and you shall consecrate the 50th year, not 49, not 51. You shall consecrate the 50th year. Remember the 50th year, just like the Feast of uh, Pentecost is separated by 50 days. We talk about the 50 years now. Throughout all your land, all inhabitants, it shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you, and in it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows on its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your unattended wine. Think about it. Pastor Mori mentioned it. Once in a lifetime, once in a lifetime, each generation had a shot to observe what was happening or what was supposed to happen. On this magnificent, specific day, the Day of Atonement. On, and especially on a jubilee, jubilee year. On 40. It was actually proclaimed 7 times 7. Imagine you have almost like 3 years of not working. You can just enjoy and reflect. What is happening on those specific dates. Freedom. If you are in slavery. You go back to your own home. When you lost your possession. You lost your land. That was inherited by your forefathers. This is your chance to go back. And start it over. No matter what decisions you made in your life, everything was reset back to the beginning. You had another shot in your life. If not you, then your children. Your inheritance that you get, your land that you inherited from your forefathers, was never ever supposed to be taken by anybody. The low Jubilee is something, is something special, brethren. And not many people recognize it, but you know, if you want to look for grace... What the meaning of grace, that's what the love jubilee represents. Everything is set to zero. Grace at its largest scale ever. No questions. There is no terms or conditions. Everything is reset to zero. Everything to a new beginning. Now, as we're talking about the jubilee, we're talking about the inheritance, we're talking about the land. There are some factors that we need to learn From the Bible. The first one here. Leviticus chapter 27. Because all all the Israelites. Inherit the land. Which is given to them by God. Tribe by tribe. Clan by clan. Family by family. Their own have a piece of a real estate. And God says. You can trade it. You can sell it. You can buy it. You can invest it. You can do whatever you want. But I want you to remember. Every 50th year, everything goes back to its original owner. Every 50th year, it goes goes back to its original owner. Right here, in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 16. Which is one scripture here. But basically it says, if a man dedicates to the Lord part of the field of his possession, then your valuation Shall be according to the seed for it. And basically, an armor of bodily seed shall be valued at 50 shekels. We should say the number 50. It's go throughout the Bible. 50, 50 shekel of silver. What basically, what, 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 what is God trying to tell Moses here? The value of the land you measure, not by speculations, the way how we do it today. Okay, we just speculate. And, you know, we just think, you know, this land's going to go in value because they're going to build a highway here and they're going to build a school here. So, my property is going to go up in value. This is just basically going to purely speculation, right? That we have no control over it. Back then, the value of the land was measured by its ability to produce a crop, and specifically barley. How much barley you can get from this amount of land. And based on that, that was the value of the land. Now, there's another aspect. So, we know how to establish the value of the land. Now, there is another aspect here Leviticus chapter 25. And I want you to look at verse 13. Leviticus 25 and verse 13. So how much you pay for the land when you buy from somebody? Or how much you take money when you sell the land to somebody? That's the question. Verse 13. Leviticus 25 and verse 13. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. Each of you. Verse 14. And if you sell anything to your neighbor, or you buy from your neighbor, hence... You shall not oppress one another. That's why they love Jubilees right there. So we don't oppress one another. And verse 15. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the numbers of years of crops, he shall sell to you. He shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase his price. And according to the fewer numbers of years, you shall diminish his price. For, the, for he sells, sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. It's very simple. When you buy a land, it's just, you know, this is not mine. I'm just going to buy it and I'm just going to lease it and I'm going to use it. How many years towards the Jubilee? Oh, it's only like two years towards the Jubilee. So in two years, I'll have to give this land back to its original owner. So I'm not going to spend millions of dollars of the land because I'm not even allowed to, because I can only use this land for two years. How many crops I'm going to collect it? Only twice for the next two years. So how many barley approximate I will get? So much and so much. So I go to my neighbor and says, I will buy it for this and this. They said, you're done. That's how you buy the land. Because you know it. Whether you buy it and you sell it, in 50 years, it's going to go back to you. Just like that. It's going to be reset. Everything's going to go back to the same place to the original owner. Now, in all of this, there is a third factor. Leviticus chapter 25 And in verse here, 23. Same chapter. Leviticus chapter 25. And verse 23. God is so specific. He says, I want you to remember. You don't know anything. The land, 23. The land shall not be sold permanently. For the land is mine. And you are strangers and soldiers with me. This does not belong to you. I give you as an inheritance. But this is not yours. This is belonging to me. You can have the ownership for, for now. No one can take it away from you except me. As I got, I can take it away from you, but no one else can. But remember, this is mine. This is not yours. And, you know, I always say this thing that, you know, here in Canada, we pride ourselves that we can own private property. It says, you know, like, hey, I have a piece of land and I have a piece of land and I have a condo and I have a this. You know, we kind of like prideful of this. But, you know, this is not really yours. If you think it's yours, then, you know, always said, you know, stop paying taxes. Stop paying property taxes for a few months and let's see how long it's going to be yours. In the end, everything belongs to God anyway. And then, as we establish all the factors of how we evaluate the land, how we buy the land, how we sell the land, the role of the Jubilee and all of this, remembering that everything belongs to God, in between, you know, between all this process, between now and Jubilee, God gives another prescription how we should treat one another, in what way. And this is so critical. Keep reading here. in the same, the same chapter. Verse 24. And in all the land of your possession. In all the land of your possession. You shall grant redemption of the land. It's not an option. You shall grant redemption. Redemption of the land. Verse 25. If, when, if, if one of your brethren becomes poor. And has sold some of his possessions. And if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Verse 26. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since it fell and restore the reminder to the man whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. Verse 28. So there are options. Before the Jubilee year, there are some options. But if he is not not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee shall be released, and he shall return to his possessions. So There are some options here, right? And it's so critical. We should remember, right? That in the end, in the end, everything belongs to God. And no man could take anything permanently from one another. People shall not oppress one another. That's what God said. And another point is. It's very important to notice that the redemptions of the inheritance was always possible. Prior to the year of Jubilee. Prior to the year of Jubilee. If the debtor. Somehow, you know, if you fall in debt, if you could, you know, for some reason, find some, you know, we go to your backyards and dig out and there is a box of cash. Just saying. And you can buy yourself out. You can always go to the owner and say, listen, I have money and I want my land back. No restriction. That's what Ashley law is asking for. The owner should allow it for you to redeem your land back before the Jubilee. The other option. Near kinsman. Somebody who is a relative of yours, who is one of your family, member of your family, he had the right to redeem the debtor also at any time, and he was even commanded by the law here. No options. Commended that he should be doing this for his brother. And I want you to look at this. It's a such a wonderful law. I want you to look at this, not from the physical perspective. The law was not many times kept in the book, you know, in the land of Israel. Because they like to oppress one another. It's very difficult when you invest some money into the land that you need to give it back in the 50th year. You like to keep the slaves for you working all the time instead of releasing them. So this law is actually wouldn't, wasn't practiced much. At least you don't have much record in the Bible that this, 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 this law was practiced a lot. But I want you to look at this law from a spiritual perspective. And we're going to go through some specific details a little bit later. But look at this law from a spiritual perspective. The jubilee is coming on the 10th day of the 7th month. It's coming, no matter what. It's coming. Everyone's going to return to his own inheritance at that time. Every single one. God's law guaranteed it. Every single one. Now, before that time, who is our kinsman redeemer? Jesus Christ. He's the next. He's the next. He was the closest one to us. That's why he's called our elder brother, right? Now, we are all falling to sin. We, are, we all lost our inheritance to Satan, the devil. We all lost it. Now, the question is, how long will we wait till the redemption? Either we wait till the 10th day of the 7th month, or maybe Jesus Christ wants to redeem us before the time, and he's able to do so. Because the law guarantees that. Does it make sense? Do you know where I'm trying to go with all of this? It's okay. We're okay for now. In the little break, you need to stand up. Get your blood going. No, you're okay. If you want to stand up, please, just do it. Have a 20-second break. I know you're hungry, thirsty, especially thirsty. <laughs> So, so far everything is okay, right? Now we go to some details. So I have some slides, so it will be a little bit easier if you're taking notes. What are the responsibilities of a kinsman redeemer? Let's go point by point and see who it is. And think about Jesus Christ. What are the responsibility of a kinsman redeemer? We read it already. If a person was forced into slavery, the Redeemer, the Redeemer purchases his freedom back. Right? We just read it. When the person was in debt and about to lose his land or home where his family used to live, his Redeemer would pay back his debt and let the family remain. And no one could stop that. No one was able to stop that according to God's law. God gave permission for that. Anybody could walk in at any time after no money, how many years and says, listen, here is my brother. He's the next of kin. And I want to redeem my brother from the dead. And that's what law permitted. Another point. If a person died without an heir, the redeemer give his name by marrying the widow and produce offspring to his brother. And I'll give you a scripture there we're not going to go there, but you can write it down. It's also a part of the responsibility of a kinsman and the redeemer. And it's another job of a kinsman redeemer. If a person died from the hand of other men, the redeemer acted as the avenger of blood and pursued the killer. So you can also find it, you know, in the other scriptures like like Numbers 20, 35, verse 12, with Deuteronomy 19, verses 1 to 3. So there's all the responsibility of a kinsman redeemer. There is, other, there is other aspect that we need to talk and This is a little bit more exciting. What are the qualifications of a kinsman redeemer? Everything is stimulated by the God's law. What are the qualifications of a kinsman redeemer? Number Point number one. It's very important. He must be, he must be near of kin. The closest one. Someone who is the closest. It must be a blood relative. Know your neighbor, know your friends, know any other. It must be a blood relative. Now we have to ask our question as we go along all these points. Who is closest to us in relationship, spiritual relationship? Who is closest to us? Jesus Christ. Let's look at Hebrew chapter 2. Hebrew chapter 2. Jesus Christ is not only our creator, he's also our brother. That's our many times scripture. That's how you know, we refer to him, it's our elder brother. And we can't get anyone closer than that. To be our brother and be our creator at the same time. There is no anyone close to that. Hebrew chapter 2, look at verse 17. Hebrew chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, in all things, he had, he had to be made like his brethren. He had to be made like his brethren. So he will have this right to redeem you and me. Point number two. Must be near of kin. But point number two. He must be able to redeem. What is that supposed to mean? He must be free of any debt And in no need of redemption of himself. How can you redeem? How can a sinner redeem a sin, sinner? It's impossible. That's why Christ was sinless. And only Jesus Christ has the power redeem whom he wants. Hebrew chapter 4. Only Jesus Christ is sinless. Hebrew chapter 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest. Who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But was in all points tempted. As we are yet. And yet. Without sin. You can also write it down if you want you don't, to, you don't need to go there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. If you're taking notes, you can write the scripture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Look at the next point. He must be willing to redeem. There must be a willingness. Because we know from the scripture that there were some people who didn't want to perform this duty. Of Redeemer. And we are going to go to them. Quickly. He must be willing to redeem. Is Jesus willing to redeem you? Oh he is more than willing to redeem you. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, Therefore my Father lost me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Is Jesus willing? He's more than willing. He loves to do it. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Just one verse here, verse 45. Chapter, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom for many. Another point. As a Redeemer, there is no choice, he must be willing to pay the full price. Has Jesus Christ paid the full price for us? Absolutely. John chapter 19. John chapter 19. In verse 30. He was making sure that everything was so perfectly fulfilled before he died. Verse 13, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And by his head, he gave up his spirit. And, you know, we all know John 3, John 3:16. 3, For God so loved the word that he gave his only begotten son. So, you know, we don't have to go there. We know all the scriptures, right? So if you truly know, if you truly follow it, the law, if you understand that all these details about the law of the redemption, the law of the jubilee. I want you to go to the story of Ruth, and I want you to see the law at its full effect, how it took its effect in the the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. Let's begin here on chapter one, just a quick, so just to refresh your memory what the book of Ruth is all about. Book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1, and it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Alimelech, and the name of the wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So, these people probably lost everything, all, oh, they sold whatever they had just to feed their families. So, as the time goes by, as we know from the stories, this man died, and this, these two sons, they get married, and they, they died too. And it's only Naomi, Naomi, and, you know, the two daughters-in-law. One, you just go back, and Ruth returns with her mother-in-law, you know, They return back to Judah. Now in verse 3 here, in chapter 3 here, And in verse 9, the root, because of her mother-in-law, she knows exactly how the law of redemption, how the law of redemption works. And she gives her an idea right here. I want you to break into the context, but just read chapter 3. And it starts from verse 9. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, you made servant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. You are a close relative. Remember, we study in the God's law. What was the one of the function of the Redeemer? To provide the offspring to the widow. Remember? That's what she's playing. She's playing the law here. And now, look at the response. Then he said, Blessed are you of the the Lord, my daughter. For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. In that you did not go after a young man, whether poor or rich. You get it? She was widow. She could go and marry any other guy. But according to the redemption law, her redeeming relative, who is the closest to her, he needs to marry her and perpetuate the name, Of Israel. So she's supposed to have a son. With this guy. Right? So he says. Stay this night. Verse 12. Now it's true. That's his response. He says. Yes. Verse 12. Now it's true. That I am a close relative. However. There is a problem. However. There is a relative. Closer. Than I. It's got to be the closest one. Not just a relative. That I can pick and choose. A close one. And he says to her. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative or kinsman redeemer for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. Okay, Lay down until morning. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. Verse 1, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of of whom Boaz had spoken came came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took how many men? Nine, twelve, how many men he took. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Verse 3, Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who was come back, who, who who has come back from the country of Moab, sold sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. You see the law at play? The law of redemption is at play with it's holy facts. And I and I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me. Then I might know, for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. He got excited. He says, hey, I can get a piece of land here. This guy got excited for a moment. But then the story is not over. Then Boaz said, remember we're talking about the responsibility of the king's man redeemer. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. You see the law at its full play? And this guy thinking now, oh, I have to marry this woman now. Oh, I don't like this land anymore. And the close relative said, verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem it, my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Remember, he must be willing, right? He must be willing. This guy is not willing. It's not willing. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning, concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave, it to an, and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore the cross narrative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all this that was Alimelech and all that was Chileans and Machlan. From the hand of Naomi. Transactions was done. Everything according. In front of the witnesses. And everything according to the law of God. This is the only one. There is the only one part in the Bible. That this law is actually at its full play. And it is fully explained. And follow exactly the routine. How it is supposed to be done. And what a beautiful example. What a beautiful example for all, for all of one. It's As I said. As we go through all of this. See a friend. friend does not have a right of redemption. You may have a very close friend living by you, you know. You may have a very good relationship. If something happened, your friend doesn't have anything to do. He can't even do. He's not even the closest to your, you know. He must be one of your closest relatives, blood relatives to redeem you, not your friend, not your neighbor. It doesn't work like that. And now Christians ask these questions and argue for millennia. Who is Jesus Christ? Was he the son of man or was he the son of God? Was he in the middle you know, was he just God or was he just a man? And many people argue that, you know, he was just a man alone. No, he was God. He was, you know, whatever. Jesus Christ, to perform all his duty as a closest brother relative, he had to come in the form of a man to this earth. Just to perform this one single law to redeem us. If he came in a form of an angel, as Jehovah's Witness believe, then he would be just our friend. The law would not allow him to redeem you and you. And you. The Lord would never ever allow you. Satan would never ever agree to that. That's it. Period. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. With all this knowledge, you will see how much easier to read some of the verses here. Hebrews chapter 2. Let's start from verse 11 and we'll finish at verse 17. Verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. How? All of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them what? Brethren. His relative of us, the closest one that he can ever get. Saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I. And the children whom God has given me. Verse 14. Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood. He himself likewise sharing the same. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels. But he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things. Had to be made like his brethren that he, made, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of all the people. Now it makes perfect sense. If we understand the Old Testament law, if we grasp it. <clears throat> and you see in the law of redemption, another point the redeemed bond servant. Does not have the lawful right to be his own boss. And many people say. Now you are in Christ. You are, you are freedom. You can do whatever you want. Because Christ bought you, bought you out. Now we have this freedom. This is not true. Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. Right there at the end of the chapter. The last verse of Leviticus chapter 25. God is making clear to the children of Israel. So they know how they stand. In their relations towards God. Leviticus 25 verse 55. For the children of Israel. Are servants to me. They are my servants. Whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What about Jesus Christ? What about the New Testament? Romans chapter 6. Do we have this freedom that we can just go around and do whatever we want to? Disregard God's law and says, you know, all this thing is done away, you know, I have this freedom that Christ gave me now. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Pull well, us a question. Look how he goes about in verse 17. Skip down to verse 17. But God be thanked. That though you were a slave of sin, yet you obey from the heart that from that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you become slave of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the, in the thing of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is dead. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Who is our master now? We changed the master. Who was our master before? Satan the devil. Who is our master now? Jesus Christ. Whom we used to obey before. Satan the devil. Whom we now supposed to obey now. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and his law. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. The same concept. Verse 3 and 4. Now by this we know that we know him. If we know our master. If we keep his commandments. He who says I know him. And does not keep his commandments. Is a liar. And the truth is not in him. He can't have that Jesus Christ is our. He's our redeemer. And we go against his will. And we disobey his commandments. It doesn't work like that. Now. The, also the last point I want to make. About the redemption's law. That in the law of The redemption. Everyone will be redeemed in his own time. You notice that? Everyone will be redeemed in his own time. What do I mean by that? We are the first fruits. We are redeemed now, right? Jesus Christ laid his life for us. We accepted it. We are redeemed. The rest of humanity going to get chance at the end of the month, at the 10th day of the 7th month. The jubilee is going to kick in. The jubilee is going to kick in and everyone will be allowed to go free. Everyone's going to be allowed to go free. So, in conclusion, I just want to look at this chart of the holidays one more time. I want you to look at it one more time. And, you know, there is a concept that, you know, that I think, that I now understand. And sometimes, you know, we are, we are trying to, asking the questions, you know, why, why do we keep Pentecost? Why there is a 50 days between the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Pentecost? Why is there 50? What the 50 number means? Redemption. Brethren, this is our time. We've been redeemed right now through Jesus Christ. It's 50. That's what 50 symbolizes. We've been redeeming. That's why on the, on the anniversary of Pentecost, we get the God's Holy Spirit. 50. That's all it means. Why? Because it's related to the day of atonement, to the Jubilee that's going to happen every 50, 50th year, every generation. And this Jubilee points to the future time when the rest of the world will be redeemed from Satan, the devil. He's not going to be in charge anymore. He's not going to have any slaves anymore. And he will be bound. For at least 1,000 years. So the other people can have a shot. And have this chance to understand. What God's law. What God's love is all about. I asked you at the beginning. Did you mark your days. Special days in your calendar. Do you mark. Holy days. In your calendar you mark them? you mark them when they are? you know already where the feast of Passover is next year? So it doesn't come in the last moment that you say, oh, I have to go to work. And then you have to rush to come here in the last moment, wash your feet in the sink, and and come before, you know, Lord's presence because you're telling God that my work is more important than the Passover. Is that what you're trying to tell God? How important is the day for you? Can you think of this day in a jubilee that you're going to be resurrected and you see all these poor people have a chance what you have already here? Don't ruin this chance. Mark these holidays and live by them. God is trying to teach you something. He loves you. He gave his life for you. May God bless you all, brethren. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at CGIBurlington.org.